Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Microcast and Microcosm Community Call. This call is recorded live on Friday, July 15th. This week's call was hosted by Coach Kristen Schindler and features certified personal trainer Megan Flanagan. Megan is a running coach, certified personal trainer, founder of Strong Runner Chicks, and contributor to Trail Runner Magazine. Megan joined us today to walk our team through a strong and stable leg circuit, as well as talk about how to better incorporate strength into your training plan from both a micro and macro level. I would highly recommend checking out the video version of this call to get a better view on how to execute the movements that Megan recommends. You can find a link to that in our show notes. I hope you enjoy this episode, and as usual, if you have any feedback, a question for a future call, or are looking for support in your running journey, please visit us on the web at microcosm-coaching.com or contact us at microcosmcoaching at gmail.com. Thanks and enjoy. So I love that. Cool. Should we get started? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Great. Um, well, hi everybody. I don't have like a formal PowerPoint today, but I am here to talk more through kind of a follow-up to what was discussed um, in the initial session on how to like, you know, the fundamentals of strength training 101 for runners, um, how to build it into your program. We'll talk a little bit more through that today and kind of like what it looks like more in a macro and micro level. So, you know, when should you be having those uh, heavier strength training focus points versus lighter throughout the season? We'll also walk through a strong and stable leg circuit for runners, and then we'll have some Q and a time. So it may not take the full hour, but, um, yeah, happy to get started. And I actually just went for a run. So this strong and stable leg circuit that I'll show you today, isn't, isn't too intense. It's something you could do post run and fit into your schedule. Um, we, I guess we can get started with it. If everybody's comfortable with that, no worries on turning your video off too, if you need to. Um, you can also just watch that's fine too. I'm just going to demo a few exercises for a strong and stable leg circuit. I know mountain runners or, um, mountain legs has been really popular. And so this is a little bit different. There's no lunges. There's no step-ups. Those are all great exercises too. Um, this one focuses on a little more like single leg, uh, with Romanian deadlift to, uh, split squats and single leg glute bridges. So it's just a couple of exercises or three put into one circuit. Um, so I'll stand up and kind of demo this and we'll see how this goes. I moved my dog in the other room, so we have no distractions there, but, um, hopefully you can see, oh, you get to see my notes now. I'll lower you down. <laughs> so, um, the start for this one, we are, going to begin with the comprehensive one. So this is going to be a single leg Romanian deadlift to a reverse lunge with a knee drive and then a lateral lunge. I know it's a lot in one, but it's a really good one. If you wanted to incorporate it into your warm up, that would work. It doesn't have to be done post run. And you could also do this more as a strength exercise by adding a little bit of weight to it if you wish. Um, so this one, you'll start standing on one leg or pick a leg to stand on basically here. Sorry about my notepad. I'll move that for you. Um, so standing on one leg for your single leg RDL. It's 
So I'll be here in the RDL. I'm gonna take my notes. This is actually a pretty comprehensive one. So single leg RDL here, hinging over at the hips, squaring your hips down to the ground. Okay, so like this. And then you take a reverse lunge back, hopefully not having to use the couch beside you. <laughs> reverse lunge back, knee drive up, and then lateral lunge out. And lateral lunge out to the side here. So you've started here, single leg RDL, right? Standing on that wobbly first leg, knee drive, lateral lunge. Yep, so that is pretty much, oh, I forgot one component there. So you can really get as, as snazzy as you want. This is why this one, I put four things in here. So you've got single leg RDL, reverse lunge, knee drive, and lateral lunge. Okay, um, so that's your first exercise. I know a lot of you are just kind of hanging out today or maybe at your work. So I'll just let you take that one and do as you wish with it. But I would recommend doing about five each side. So it's really a new variation too of that lunge matrix that maybe you've heard about before because you do get some lunging in the mix. But I think those RDLs are also super important to stand on one leg and to be able to balance and get those hamstrings incorporated. So that one all encompassing the lateral lunge too. We don't do enough lateral movement as runners, especially for trails. So making sure to get those movements, whether it's lateral like side step ups or lateral lunges can be really beneficial. And then two more that I would, put as staples in the mix is a single leg glute bridge. And you may have seen this one done before this one, you want to like lay down on a surface. So ideally the ground, or you have a yoga mat and you'll lay here, lifting one leg up in front of you, driving through the other and lifting and lowering to put it this way, lifting and lowering here, driving up, trying to keep those hips really stable. Um, so I don't know if you can hear me very well down there, but trying to keep the hips stable as you do that one, making sure you're not going too far up. So you really only need to go to where everything's parallel and your core is still incorporated and engaged throughout that movement. And then if you find that you're getting better at those, I would elevate your, um, heels. So when you are doing those glute bridges, you put your heels up on a higher surface, so I have like a desk chair next to me, or you could use your couch um, as well. And that'll make that a little bit more challenging. It also allows you to go a little bit lower, right? Because you can only go to the floor if you're on the ground, but if you elevate the hips a little bit, you can get more full range of motion um, on that one. And then the last one, the third exercise I would incorporate is split squats. And so that'll be standing on one leg, with the leg behind you. This one is gold. I think this is so important and good. So one leg behind you and back and then going forward or going up and down really. You don't wanna be going forward and back too much on this one. Okay, so you can relax the foot this way or you can turn your toes. There's really no right or wrong. It's kind of what you prefer just making sure you're going down all the way. It is okay if the front knee comes a little bit above the toe. I just make sure you're not this far forward. 
right? But just a natural um, way there because you don't want to be leaning too far back and arching your spine. You want a slight forward lean as you do these. Okay, so that's your split squat. I would do between eight and 10 repetitions for the split squats and for the glute bridges. So, sorry, I'm so out of breath. I think I just got done with a run like 30 minutes ago. It's still hitting me, so. It's okay, so it turns out you're human after all. Apparently, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and I'm already feeling the split squats. I feel like I need to do the other side now. So make sure you get both sides when you do those. Um, but really this circuit shouldn't take too long. Uh, just like mountain legs, it's pretty quick, easily implemented into a routine. And again, I would recommend that first um, series is a great one, like the lunge matrix, just to kind of warm your body up and get you ready to go, especially if you've been sitting all day or you're getting out the door um, on kind of creaky legs. It's a good way to wake those up. So that is a pretty brief leg circuit. I didn't show you the whole thing or we didn't go through all of it because I know some of you don't have that bandwidth today, but make sure you incorporate it. And I will follow up with those exercises so that you can do those. Um, the other thing I was going to mention or talk about today. So any questions, I guess, first, I want to leave like room open for questions on that one. Yeah, I have a few. Um, I think for, for some of these, like I, I love all of these exercises and I know that as you advance, you can add a band around your knees for, um, the glute bridges. Um, or weights with the split squats, but what is your recommendation for, for maintaining form if we're not like face-to-face? -face? Yeah, that's an excellent uh, question. And I love the, I, or the, the point about bands too. I should have mentioned that for the glute bridges, you could add a band around the knees. Um, and for any of these, you could add dumbbells or kettlebells or a weight. Um, in terms of keeping form, I would say I mean, the best way is to have someone watching you do the exercises and giving you that feedback. I also find it super helpful. I do this all the time. I um, mean, I like, even as a strength coach, I need to know how my form looks. So I will record myself um, and watch it back. So watching yourself do the exercise and then comparing it to uh, a video demonstration. And I do have several like YouTube video demonstrations on how to do certain things. If you do want more in depth too, I'm more than happy to provide one to you. Um, most, I don't want to go on a limb and say most YouTube, if you search split squat, you'll get the perfect exercise, but typically there are, you know, the most viewed videos by like check their credentials. If they're a certified strength and conditioning coach or personal trainer, I would venture to say most of those aren't going to be too, uh, outside of the norm, you know, especially for split squats or it's different if you're doing like a barbell snatch or something that really requires that, um, level of specificity to have form on point. But I would say as far as these exercises I've showed today, yeah, just, I, I think getting yourself filmed would be the best way. And then, you know, if, if there's a specific exercise that any of you have a question about, I'm more than happy to answer, Hey, like, you know, I would do this a little differently, or this is what I would change. I would say for the split squats, you just make sure, like I said before, you don't want to lean too far forward or back, just kind of keeping static and things should feel um, pretty consistent or, or pretty 
good. Like sometimes you'll feel what I'm trying to say here is like, hopefully you guys get to the point too, where you're noticing if something feels a little off, you know, with one of the repetitions and you can adjust based on that. But, um, I know probably the easiest way is just please feel free to email me. I'm happy. Even if we, you know, you're not an athlete, I coach, um, with strength, I'm more than happy to answer a question, um, as it pertains to, to form. Um, and then again, hopefully you do start to get the hang of things to where you can film yourselves and watch back, um, how the form looks. Um, and then I was going to add for reverse lunges or RDLs, just really making sure you're keeping your body pretty square. So like when I'm doing these, a lot of people have a tendency to, um, to open their hips up, you know, as we go back. And so trying to keep the hips squared down towards the ground beneath you as you do these and softening that knee a little bit will be really helpful. And I always think just about like pushing your hips back first and starting to do those with both legs before you go single leg um, to, to help with form as well. For single leg exercises, if some of us find ourselves really, like you use the word wobbly, like unstable, um, are there any techniques that you recommend or any, I guess, any way we can make that easier if we don't have great balance? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I would recommend if you have access to a gym or to a TRX or like suspension trainers, those are really good to hold on to out in front of you. If you don't, um, I would also recommend just having, like I have a coffee table or a surface here. So having a surface where you can kind of put your hands out or, you know, put your hands on something for a little bit of support. Like I'm holding on to this as I do those. And then slowly just going from hands to like fingertips and barely using them at all as you go about those. Yeah, that's probably the best starting point for those. Uh, similarly, if you have, if you notice when you're doing these single leg exercises that you, you're really imbalanced, like one side is super um, weak compared to the other side, would you still do like the same number of repetitions per side or would you change, like, would you focus on the weaker side? What would that look like? Yeah, I would still do the same number of repetitions per side. I definitely would not do more repetitions on the strong side because you don't want to reinforce that patterning of the strong side, just continuing to get stronger. Um, I've seen a lot of success with athletes who have, who have had those issues. Like if they have a torn ACL or something major, a torn hamstring, and they're slowly rebuilding both sides to slowly start just with what they can do on both. You know, if you can do five on the left, but 15 on the right, do five on both, you know, just do five on both sides for now and slowly build up that way, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. But no need to focus. I, I don't think on one side favorably. Um, but again, I would also, of course, consult with a PT if it's something pretty major too, and see what their thoughts are, because I know it can vary when you're first in those like kind of rehab or prehab stages of physical therapy, it can, it can vary. Um, but from that standpoint of like year round, what you want to be doing, I wouldn't want to get you in the habit of doing more on one side. So trying to get those sides pretty, uh, pretty similar would be the most ideal and the goal. Good question. Yeah. Keep them coming. Any other questions on 
you know, form or on this circuit. It's okay if not too. I guess just the one question I had. So you're offering this alternative to a lung matrix, which is great. I'm wondering if there's, um, do you have any reservations about the lunge matrix? And is that why you want an alternative to it? Um, yeah, just curious. Uh, yeah, I'm not too opinionated on, I mean, like there's nothing wrong with the lunge matrix. I think it's a lot of lunging. And um, I think, you know, the lunge matrix incorporates just what I did, which was the reverse lunge and the lateral lunge. Um, I think there's also the forward lunge and this sort of like sideways <laughs> there's like five variations of lunges. I just think we can go rah-rah and lunges a lot. And some people actually have issues with lunges. Like, you know, our knees get a little bit aggravated with too much lunging. So that's why I would kind of say, yeah, sure. I have some reservations, I guess, about those, um, in terms of like just the longevity of it and like doing that all the time. And then I think it's missing that critical component, which is um, the single leg RDLs. I just love those for runners. And I know they're really a pain, you know, they're hard. We wobble and so are split squats. And so are those um, single leg glute bridges, but that's why I show them because I think there are weaker points sometimes that we don't address. Lunges and step-ups kind of come naturally at some level if we're doing a lot of mountain legs and a lot of lunge matrix. So that is why I would add those two in as well. Yeah, and lunges sometimes neglect, right? Like the, the hamstrings and the ankle stability if we're doing them all the time. Um, and that's what the reverse lunge, or sorry, um, RDL will, will help with. All the terminology and strength sometimes, I know. I struggle, someone said I struggle with lunges. Oh, I'll just get this question if that's okay. Or did you have a, a question? No, this is perfect. I was just going to read it so that if someone's listening, they know what oh, it is. Thank yeah. you. So the question is, I struggle with lunges. My balance is a struggle. Any suggestions? Right now, I, I make sure that I have something I can hold on to. Yeah. So I guess suggestions I have for improving balance would be to start small, like anything, like start with what you can do um, is that standing on one leg for, you know, 10 seconds, for five seconds, for 30, just working on standing on one leg. And it's super simple, probably sounds like it, but to start with that and make sure it's on a stable surface. I'm looking down at my feet right now because I have a carpet. Um, I would even say carpet might be too much for some people to start. So like starting with bare feet, if possible, that's another thing too. We do a lot of exercises in shoes, especially if we go to the gym or we're doing them post-run, pre-run. So I would encourage you to do a lot of these barefoot because we often don't incorporate those smaller foot muscles that are critical to balance. And so for balance in particular, trying those would be good. And then I, I know we have another question, so I will answer that one too in a moment. Um, but yeah, with balance, just starting, like I said, with holding on to things, I think it's good that you're doing that now. Um, so, you know, going from there and just continuing to build up. So basically my thing there is like, start with, or the main points would be start barefoot. If you can start on the most stable surface you can find, not on grass, not on, you know, carpet and definitely not on a, those little balls at the gym, like BOSU balls or the balance balls, like try not to compare yourself or start with those and just, you know, start on like hardwood floor, or whatever you can find. That's a strong, sturdy surface. 
and then slowly, slowly build up. And also on weight, I see a lot of people wanting to add weight and I'm all for it, but with RDLs, with balance exercises, the point isn't necessarily loading the, uh, like think about what the purpose is, right? I guess for you is the purpose to improve your balance or is the purpose to get stronger? Um, maybe both in some ways, but if it's balanced more so then don't worry about the weight until you master form. And then once you feel like you've graduated from a level and it's getting easier, then feel free to start adding a little bit of weight. So um, Megan, I think to that point, how does one determine, like, how do you, hmm, what are the words I want to use? Like, how do you determine your progress when you're going from this? Is it like, like you just said, to nail the form, to add the weight? Um, like, those are definitely like the, the steps that you take to move forward. But like, if you're looking for like, you know, progress in strength, um, is there any way to really like determine that? Or is it just kind of like, listening to your body? Yeah, those are, that's a good question too. So with athletes I work with for strength in particular, I always have them log every, you know, I would say at least once a month, um, every three to six weeks or so, maybe sooner, maybe, um, maybe every week or two, you're assessing like how many, uh, glute bridges. Can you do on the right leg? How many can you do on the left? How long can you stand on your right leg? How long can you stand on your left? Can you close your eyes while you're standing? Um, so I know that's not like a super specific thing. I can list out a couple of the benchmarks I provide to athletes too. Um, how many split squats can you do on each leg and not going past like what's, I mean, I think if you can get like 30 on each leg, you're doing really well, right? 20 even, um, but just trying to get either repetitions or going for time. Like, can you hold a glute bridge on the right leg for 30 seconds, but on the left you're at 10. And then how do you improve that? Um, so it's kind of similar to like planks and how long we hold those. I would do the same for some of these exercises in terms of time duration and, or, um, in terms of repetitions too. Cool. Thank you. And I think too, it's important for athletes to know that like these exercises help with running on roads and running on trails. So anytime you can build that sort of like strength, you're, you're helping to build fatigue resistance for like those really tough parts of races or long runs. Um, but Megan, can you talk a little bit about like how to start building strength into, into your training plan? Um, you know, at both like a macro and micro level. So like, how do you, how do you start at the very beginning and what does that look like over a couple of months? And then what does that look like over like the longer term, like a year or two years? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so good question as well. And I apologize. I do, we do have one more question. I just, um, didn't want to, so on RDLs hurting a patellar tendon, what would be a good alternative? I would probably just before we move on, I would say the glute bridges, I would do the single leg glute bridges because, um, hopefully those are putting less stress on that patellar tendon when you're in a supine or lying down type of position. Um, so I'd start there because you do want to target the hamstrings in another way. Um, we can talk through some alternatives to Chelsea. I know, um, we've chatted before, so more than happy to, to share some alternatives offline as well. And, more into that. Um, but good questions. 
And then in terms of the building strength, so I would first assess where you're at. I think we're all individuals and um, there's no one blanket statement of like, oh, I would just start with two days a week of, you know, two by 10 repetitions or how, however many. Um, I would say I wouldn't want to get anyone loaded under like too much heavy weight early on. I'd say the first probably four to six weeks or month to month and a half would be a little bit of lighter uh, body weight based exercises, even for the first two to three weeks. And maybe then you start to add a little weight. So those first few weeks, body weight exercises, maybe two sets um, of, you know, 10 to 15 repetitions somewhere in there. So I guess I am giving a little bit of a blanket. If, if people out there just want to know, like, where do I begin? I would say that's a good starting point. Um, but again, that might be too much for some people, but just starting really small with that. I would also say, I guess a big point too, is considering where you are in your season. I know many of us are in you know, if we do trails or even road races, a lot of races are happening right now in the summertime. And so maybe not the best time to start um, lifting too hefty. Um, maybe if you're looking out to like a fall or winter race, you could alternate there. Uh, but I guess what I'm trying to say here too is try to think about cycling through the season. And I've read a really good article. I will give Jason Coop credit here. He wrote a pretty good one on, um, just like thinking about early, mid and late season. And so dividing your season up into early season, those like three to four months before the season starts mid season, and then late, which is two months. Now this is an example, right? We don't all have a perfect season ironed out in these sort of month timeframes, but thinking about the year, dividing it into thirds or into fourths, and then, you know, when it comes to early season and that prep time that you have doing what you can to kind of lay a foundation, I would recommend there. If you maybe are running a little less, you have a little bit more um, capacity perhaps for heavier lifting. And so more intensity and maybe a little bit more volume um, in addition. Now, I know we don't want to do too much intensity and volume at once, but thinking about maybe lifting a little heavier during that, those, some of those cycles. So some weeks where you would have say four to five sets of four to six repetitions of a, you know, again, more compound movement. So like squats, deadlifts, those fundamental ones, lunges, and you know, the RPE might be a little higher during certain weeks. So maybe you have some higher intensity weeks with lifting as well as higher, uh, and when I say higher intensity, I don't mean like heart rate too. We don't want to feel like you're doing burpees in a workout, but more like just they're really tough. Like you're really pushing your limits in the weight room a little bit more than you would outside of that time frame, and maybe two to three times a week versus say one to two during other phases. So I would kind of start there or, or I wouldn't start there. Sorry. I'm just trying to kind of highlight when you look at a year, like a calendar year, what would it look like? And so obviously you want to start first with those easier body weight type movements for the first, you know, two to four weeks, like I said, or even four to six weeks. But once you start to feel more comfortable with that, let's say somebody has already been doing strength. This is kind of what it looks like on a year to year. So you've got that early season and I'll lay this out too. in like more of a table format and send it out. 
Um, you've got the mid season, which is leading up a little bit more into the race, into the racing season. Um, so maybe for you, if you do a lot of summer fall races, that's like springtime, you're starting to do a little less in terms of volume, scaling back a notch, two to three sets of eight to 12 repetitions, and the intensity comes down a notch. And then you're doing that like two to three times a week um, versus maybe you were doing it three times for the early season. You drop down to two during mid. And then we say late season. And that's your final, you know, six, eight weeks, even 10 weeks out. You're maybe even dropping down to one time a week of quality strength. And then maybe you're doing like a core session or something. Um, I do think it's great if people can get in two times, but I know just speaking for my own, I'm, I think six weeks out from Leadville and I'm definitely in late season. I'm not hitting the weight room twice a week at this point, once a week, if I'm lucky, I'm doing more at home stuff. Um, so it's not my focus, right? I'm not trying to build strength at this point in time. I'm just trying to keep what I have. I'm doing maybe two sets of 10 to 15 reps resting as I need to and intensity is pretty low. So running becomes the main focus as you get more specific into your race and you know, you're really dropping back a little bit as I look more into fall and winter, that might be a good time then to start, you know, reincorporating more strength into the schedule. So I don't know if that helps kind of lay a foundation. I've talked a lot there, but open to questions too. And of course, customizing to suit the needs of different athletes. Any questions or, I know that was kind of a lot. I just kind of talked a lot. Um, I will send out, like I can send a table at least and you know post that in the group or send it to TJ about how this would look in an athlete season. I will say too, I did want to caveat this. So that was a very blanket statement. In my personal opinion, like this might disagree with Coop, for instance, as a coach, he outlines early season, three months, you're doing four to five sets of four to six reps. If I had someone do that for three months straight, even for me, I'm like, no, we're not going to do the same. That's like asking someone to me to do the same workout for four to six months or for, for three months, even every single week, same workout, same hill repeats. So I think it's good to mix it up a little bit. Um, in the weight room. And so I would probably cycle athletes normally through like a three to four week cycle of the same repetitions before we mix it up. Um, so I'm not going to have someone doing the, the same exact exercises day in and day out for three months straight. Um, so I just wanted to caveat that part because I know some of you, I work with one-on-one. -on -one, and so we veer a little off of that because some of you are starting off fresh. And so, you know, getting back into the weight room or into strength, um, we will have to customize this a little bit, but nobody should be seeing really heavy lifts in the month or two before a race typically. So, um, that's kind of my caveat, or at least the month or two before an ultra race or a long distance race, five K's and 10 K's a little bit different, not a whole lot, but in terms of weight rooms and kind of what we can get away with, with strength, um, you know, shorter distances sometimes can get away with a little more or even just less volume for skiers. How can we work our, so this is another question into our season with strength. Good question. Yeah. For skiing, I 
would say, I hate the word that depends or that phrase that depends, but I'd ask like, how long is your ski season? You know, how many days a week do you ski? Um, you know, I ski once or twice a week in the winter. So it's probably different if you ski four to five times a week, you might be a little more tired in the legs. So I kind of say, see where you are there. If skiing is a big priority, it sounds like maybe it is, if it's a ski season for you, then, you know, maybe that isn't the time to be lifting quite as heavy. Maybe there's like those in-between periods of even just a couple of weeks between running season or racing season and ski season, you can find those sweet spots as you kind of prep for ski season. And then once you're in the thick of it, if you're skiing, even, you know, five days a week or three days a week, um, you might find you have to scale back a little bit on the strength, especially as it relates to leg strength and maybe just do one or two days a week, like you would in season for running, particularly if it's a focus for you, if skiing is. I'd say skiing builds strength too, right? Just in different ways. But I wouldn't say it's a total substitute for strength training either. Same with biking. Any questions so far? Appreciate yeah, I have, I have another question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have some athletes who, uh, once they start getting into strength training, stability, mobility stuff, um, a few of them over the past few years, this isn't like specific to anyone, but have gotten some like weird shin splint symptoms afterwards. Are there any exercises that can help with that? Or, or is it just the basic, like rest, compress ice, even though I don't really agree with that. Um, or like, is there a good, um, exercise like eccentric heel drops or something that can help prevent shin splints from happening? Yeah, that's a good question. So you're saying they got shin splints after implementing stability and strength? Yeah, they had kind of had, uh, one of them had had some issues with it previously. So they started with stability and strength and that really helped. Mm -hmm. And then the others started stability and strength and started getting shin splints. Yeah. Or twofold. That is twofold. <laughs> that's a lot. It's hard to say too, without knowing the whole situation, I guess. I mean, the, you know, you suggested like perhaps eccentric heel drops, I'd say maybe there's like some calf strengthening to do there. I would also question, like, are they doing any plyometric work in the sense of that could cause shin splints too. If you start doing single leg hops and jumps and like, um, depth jumps, you know, off of a, a even like a small step or a box, just a lot of that impact could, could be at play, but you know, even aside from that, if they weren't doing any jumping or hopping, cause that's the first thing I'd say, well, maybe that was too much too soon. Um, you know, it could be too much too soon. Like they need to ease a little more into the whole strength, um, strength focus and then calf strength as a, a foundation calf strength. And also like calf relief, if they get really tight calves that can cause shin splints oftentimes, um, again, that's sort of veering into PT territory if it's like, you know, gets to be like more of an injury, but a lot of times I do think, um, shin issues can be resolved both with calf, like relief in terms of the tension and tightness and calf strengthening in the gym as well. Yeah. That's we have athletes that increase their volume. Um, I always tell my athletes that it, it should come with a 
maybe slight increase in some of that, that self-care, that PT time, um, stretching, massaging, like using your foam roller, that kind of stuff. I assume it's the same with incorporating like a new weight routine or a strength routine into your, your routine, um, where, where that, that self-care, that PT that you do, I, it's just important, especially when you get started. I just assume if someone's starting weights, like, like I know from my brief stint of weightlifting in college that obviously like you're sore, like it, it's new to you, it's a new activity. And so spending that extra time to, to rehab, I, I'd imagine is important. Is that something that you'd recommend? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it really, that's why I'd suggest really kind of starting strength if possible, or like increasing in it. I, I don't mean to like veer people away either, but starting it outside of your prime season, if you're in the, the thick of it and you're really training hard and doing a lot of speed workouts or a lot of volume, it's probably not the best time, right. To start strength. And I know some of the coaches at microcosm too have kind of discouraged athletes are like, Hey, wait until after this hundred K or this big race you've got, cause it's not the best time. And even when it is a good time to start, let's, let's like tiptoe into the waters of strength before we get to into the thick of it, because yeah, Drew, that can cause a lot of, yeah, a lot of tension tightness. I mean, part of that is from strength, you want like those muscles and elastic tendons to be really, uh, a little more durable and they're going to become more tense and tight. Right. I mean, it's sort of like a double-edged sword of strength builds tight and tense muscles, but then we also want that relief as well. And so making sure you're, you're doing the things to counteract some of what's happening there. Yeah. So I guess to say it too, like strength teaches us how to like contract certain muscles, right? Like I said, with tension, tightness, how to squeeze our glutes, how to activate the glutes, how to, you know, do more hamstring work, but then we're going to feel a little bit more, um, sore, tense, tight. So doing the things to relieve that I think is even more important, like getting massage or self, uh, self-care, you know, and what we're doing there. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good advice for, um, do you have any advice on like how often massages should be had, or I mean, like how many minutes a day with like foam rolling, like how, how often and how much should runners be focusing on self-care? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a point where we could overdo it too, but I don't know that a lot of us are there. I have seen some runners foam roll too much where it's all the time. And I, I would say probably, um, or too intensely, you know, maybe I probably don't get a massage as much as I would say runners should. I mean, I think on a somewhat, if we're looking at a calendar year, you know, like four times a year or like, you know, a few times a year would be sort of a good minimum, maybe like, depending on your season to you get one, um, you know, at certain points throughout the season. So I don't have a really good, like massage. I think I'd have to ask a massage therapist on that question of what is the ideal? Cause you know, it might be like once a month, but I don't know that how many of us, how many of that, is that like financially feasible time feasible, right? I mean, it's probably more often for massage than we're actually getting. Um, in regards to self-care though, that's a great question as well. I'd probably say aiming for roughly at least three times a week. 
of, you know, foam rolling. And, and I say that from a realistic perspective, you could do it every day almost. And I don't know that you'd see like a downside, but I feel like the benefits, you know, of at least doing it a couple times a week, three, two to three times a week when you're, you know, maybe after strength training sessions is a good time or post-workout, post-long run to get in those, um, those foam rolling sessions or get out the roll recovery roller, whatever other methods you have. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, are there any like myths that are common, you know, that like that you can address that like, I, I know that there's a lot of articles and podcasts going around that say like, um, you know, like kind of like you mentioned with like, not specifically with Coop, but like there, there's this thing now um, about how runners should only be lifting like the heaviest weights. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and like why that is or why that shouldn't be? Cause I'm confused about it too. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think more and more research is being done. Like there was a study that came out that's pretty exciting. That was about, you know, there's been some research, I guess I'll say that about runners lifting heavy, but not very frequently, like once a week, you know, six weeks, they lifted once a week. They saw amazing strength gains. I think it depends. Like a lot of the times we're measuring that based on strength gains versus performance outcomes. And so, you know, at the end of the day, is your performance improving? Like as runners, sure. We want to be strong as athletes. Like it's great to improve in strength, but if that's what we're measuring, like, I, I think that's maybe flawed because running only requires so much strength. And so at the end of the day, if our maximum strength output improves, right. And we go from X amount in the squat to X amount at the end. And it's like, oh, wow, your squat got better. Like you can lift more weight, but then you're more tired and your times have gone down. So I think that's kind of flawed in a sense, like some of these studies out there aren't specific to running and, and that they're overlooking what we're measuring as an outcome of success. And so knowing what your success markers are, and then also how much you can get by, um, you know, I do think it's popular, the, the lift heavy, because for so long runners, we've been lifting too light, you know, we've, we've maybe not lifted at all. It's been just body weight exercises, just a lot of mountain legs. And so I think as, as a result of that, it's created like a counter movement to that. And so that's why we're seeing, Hey, just lift heavy. But then again, that's flawed because we can't lift heavy year in and year out. So they're just missing the mark there. That's not something we want to do all the time year round. And if so, it can create, you know, detrimental effects on our running. Like people can tear things and pull things and just feel fatigued all the time, which isn't, you know, what we want at the end of the day. So I can come with a better answer too in our next call. Um, if you have specific like studies you've been seeing, or maybe it's just, it seems like this rah, rah kind of Instagram movement too, like lift heavy for runners. Yeah, um, kind of been seeing yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, one question that I often get when talking to athletes about strength training is when they should do it. Um, so, so for me, I, 
I like to tell my athletes, like, keep your easy days easy, keep your hard days hard. So um, can you elaborate a little bit on like why that is or like what your suggestions are? Yeah, that's a good point too. So, um, and I think we addressed it a little bit in the last one, but it's always a good reminder and it might spark more questions or more thoughts. So in terms of that sentiment, um, I always tell the tale too. Like I, I went to two different colleges. One day we kept easy days, easy, hard days, hard. The other one we did lifting on easy days. I got away with both, but gosh, that, that time we did lifting on easy days, like the day before workouts, that was rough on the legs. Like that was not enjoyable. So I don't know if anyone's had that experience of trying to do your lifting in between workout days or right before long runs, but you know, personal experience too. I think even though I'm an N of one, like it just goes to show, like, I think our whole team felt a little bit of that, like sore legs on workout days. Um, if you're trying to do that, I mean, sure, I guess, you know, some people want that if they don't have enough Hills, like maybe you live in the flattest part of the country and you're trying to get that, um, training stimulus, but that's a little bit of an aside. Like that's, that might be a special case. I think for most of us, we want to show up as fresh as we can on workout days, on long runs, we want to feel good going into those. And so if that's the goal, performance is the goal, then I would say doing the, um, lifting on hard days after the hard day, ideally, we don't want to do it right before workout, but post-workout ideally, if you can later in the day or somewhere between four and six hours later is kind of most ideal four to six hours or longer. Um, just because of the compensation that happens if it's right after, but again, if you, if you can fit those in with your schedule, doing that will allow your body that easy day to actually recover instead of digging yourself into a strength hole on the easy day. And then you're digging yourself into another hole for, you know, running recovery time. If you, you've got to work out the next day, does that help answer it a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That was wonderful. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So kind of just going along with that recovery time and the piece of that. And then I usually recommend too, like if you can give yourself at least 48 hours in between strength sessions. So, you know, maybe you did a workout on Wednesday morning, you fit in a strength session in the afternoon or evening if possible. And then you get that recovery time through the weekend even. And maybe you, you do another strength session on like a small one on Sunday, or I've seen some athletes do it Friday, but they just don't hit the legs very hard. Um, they do more like balance and, you know, lighter weight stuff before the weekend. So finding what works for you in there. Yeah. Cause I know that can be tricky from the standpoint of like, you don't want to, you don't want to go and do like a weekend or a long run or workout with sore, tired legs. Um, but again, sometimes you learn by trial and error, kind of like I did in college and kind of figuring out as a, as an athlete, where you feel best and how you, um, you can incorporate it into your, your routine in the best way. That's awesome. Um, does anyone else have any questions that they want to ask or drop in the chat? Crickets. <laughs> uh, well, we had good engagement, I thought. So yeah, no, this is great. Um, I think um, we can definitely share out all of the resources that you mentioned, Megan. Um, 
and drop in, you know, any other, any other information, uh, that has come up from this, from this talk and kind of just like send out, but, oh, Chelsea has one more question. Yay. Oh yeah. Ask away. I will post the sort of the table where I got it from. Um, oh, I see. Cool. Yeah. That article, I think, again, I don't want to like promote Coop too much here, but I do think it's a pretty, pretty in-depth rundown, probably better than I could go into detail in this call, just about how to incorporate it. And so that helps you kind of see like, Hey, where would I fit this in and answer some of the questions, but yeah, Chelsea ask away. So the benchmark exercises, how do you do that around the structured workout test your maxes on a different day or within the workout? That's a good question, Chelsea. I would probably test them either right before the workout on the same day, or maybe ideally if you could add a third day that week and just do those on a separate day, that would be good too. Just on a day you're fresh. Yeah. So kind of testing those benchmarks was the question of, yeah, some of these exercises and, you know, benchmarks, like I said, yeah, Chelsea, thanks for the question. I just wanted to comment on that too. Um, the goal is not to, to get everybody to 50, a hundred reps, like I had said, I just want to know if you're improving, if you've got maybe a weaker side than another, or, you know, single leg calf raises are on there. For instance, a lot of us can't do 30 and thirties. I've talked to a lot of PTs about this. They, they think all runners should be able to do 30 single leg calf raises on each leg. And that's kind of tough sometimes, you know, so seeing where you, where you are in those benchmarks. And if you can just get to a reasonable point, same with the planks, nobody needs to go out and do a 10 minute plank just about, Hey, can you do 90 seconds? Maybe two minutes. Good. You know? And so it's just a checkpoint for you to know if you're, you're in line with, you know, baselines or where you want to be. Yeah. All right. That was a really good question, Chelsea. Thank you for that. It was, yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm happy to share more about, cool. you know, benchmarks or come back with um, additional conversation and maybe even recovery from strength. That seems to be a big topic too. Yeah, yeah. Um, my internet is pretty unstable. Um, <laughs> sorry, guys. Uh, I think may, it might just be the valley. It's been wild this week. Um, do you have any like uh, tips? Like last, well, in the last like seven minutes, do you have any tips for recovering from strength training? Uh, yeah, I think the biggest. I mean. <laughs> The biggest components, I'm just laughing because I'm like, it's kind of like running recovery. I mean, I guess there's nothing too, too elaborate, uh, but you know, the foam rolling, the stretching, just the making sure I really do think I advise, like I said, if, if you can get in strength again, I know we have these routines that we like to do post run, but if you're really trying to lift heavy and lift hard and you know, seeing if you can allow yourself a little bit of a recovery window to not go into a strength session fried. And I just say that like right here, right now, I just did a, you know, a run this morning. It would not be beneficial for me to just go straight into strength. And I've done that before. And that usually even for athletes that try and do that too, like, it's just, it's usually not productive 
So if you're going into a strength session more tired, you know, you're like, you're already tired. You're already kind of in a hole from running in the strength session going into it. I don't foresee that being very beneficial. Um, again, some routines like the one I just showed you, if you did that body weight, that's different or just like a core routine, something 10 minutes. But if you're going to go hit the gym or try to like lift a little heavier, just try to go into that feeling pretty fresh if, and when possible, separate that from your running and sort of take your, take your strength, like you would a running session. And that it, it is like a, a serious thing and you don't want to go into it in a hole and come out of it even worse. So just making sure that strength is benefiting you. Thank you, Steven too. Steven left a comment. It's been great working with you so far. So yeah, it takes away the guesswork too, working with a coach. Good point. Uh, yeah, best way I can just drop my email too. We can always have a chat. So if anyone is interested, even in working together or just in a few more tips, you know, personal questions, you can always reach out as well. Yeah, this is awesome. So for, for those who are listening, her email is meganspire at gmail.com and that's spelled M-E-G. I-N-S-P-I-R-E at gmail.com. So yeah, if you're interested in getting started with strength coaching, definitely reach out. Um, this is like, we, we brought Megan on for a reason. Like we believe in her, we trust her. We were like fully on board with this. So we definitely support all of you getting your answer, your questions answered and starting with strength training because it's only going to make you stronger. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think with that, like we we're we can definitely wrap this up again. If anyone wants to reach out to Megan, um, we've got our email. We'll send out her, her contact email as well. Um, and information, but this was great. Thank you so much, Megan, for your time and for showing us those exercises and just answering all of the questions. It's really appreciated. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. Good yeah. to see everybody. All right. Cool. Have a good Friday, everyone. You too. Bye. Bye.